You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Today's scripture reading is from the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. Please follow along in your Bibles or on the screens in front of you. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated, and the kids are dismissed to their classroom. Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, What a joy and privilege it is to sing and pray uh, together as one in Christ and, and now to sit under God's Word together. I remember... Um... I remember being a kid and going to my, my nan and pap's house, and uh, I, I remember um, just a few years back, my, my pap passed away, uh, my, my nan's still around and, and alive and well, and, but uh, I remember going over to their house and like uh, just all sorts of flowers and like lush garden and tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchini, and I remember uh, walking through their, their garden. It wasn't huge by any means, but I remember, like, walking with him and, like, uh, plucking green beans and, like, is this one big enough to pluck? And, you know, I'll leave that one. Is it, what about this one? And I remember plucking the green beans, and then when we would have, like, family, you know, like, cookout or whatever, like, plucking them and then sitting on the porch, and the family would, like, sit there and break the beans and then, like, I don't know, bake or cook or boil. I don't know what you do to prepare uh, beans. But anyway, do all the things, right? 
Um, he would make uh, salsa with the stuff that came from the garden, jelly, um, all kinds of things. Um, and, and just the yard, though, the grass, beautiful, the nicest on the block in town, whatever. Um, the flower beds, beautiful. The garden, beautiful. And, and some may have thought as they drove by the house, like, man, look at those people, like, lucky. Like, their yard just looks so nice, right? But, but anybody with any sense would have known that it wasn't, it wasn't the, them just being lucky that had uh, the, the beautiful and, and fruitful yard. That was not accident, but it was from diligence. Like, I remember seeing this, like, uh, aqua substance, and that's, like, I, I think how I learned that miracle Grow existed. It was because my pap, right? And he's putting that stuff on everything, Right. And uh, I remember, like, he just had, like, people would, like, well, he's just got a green thumb. And in my literal mind, I'm like, really? You know, like, just trying to figure stuff out. But, but what that meant was when my mom, like, was killing or hanging baskets in our houseplants, she would literally bring them to my, to my grandpa and, like, here, like, and he was, like, the, the plant doctor. And he would, like, revive it back to life, you know? Um, he was diligent. When, when he knew frost was, was looming, he would cover the stuff. And when, you know, in, uh, amid a summer drought, he would water and he would kill and pull weeds. And if ever, uh, I remember one time, like, hitting the, a random, it was probably in the neighbor's yard. It probably wasn't even in, the, in their yard, but like a, a dying uh, dandelion. And like, what you do as a kid, like, you hit it with a bat. And I remember him being like, uh, you should stop that. Like, apparently, like, that grows more of them. Like, I didn't know that, you know? Like, and so, like, just being mindful and, and diligent. I remember every time uh, we would walk around the backyard, he just constantly just kind of casually plucking and, and breaking off branches and, and pruning. He was diligent. Uh, later on, we were neighbors. Like, we lived just two houses down. And this was, you know, they were, they were older, but... Uh, it was still true, and I, I would just regularly, as a young man, filled with shame by how my yard looked compared to theirs. Like, it didn't look so good, right? Sorry, Kim. Like, we figured it out or whatever. Um, so year after year, season after season, faithfully, flowers bloomed, vegetables sprouted, all the things. In the same way, those who are in Christ, devoted to Jesus, man, we want we want to live a long, faithful, fruitful life. And the Bible talks about uh, the fruit of the Spirit and like, what is that? But basically, it's just putting God's nature on display and the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and so we get to live in such a way that reflects the glory and the nature of God. And so we get to be a patient and, and good and, and, and kind and, and generous and all those things. Uh, we desire, if we are in Christ, to have strong roots that endure storms and difficulty. And, and we desire to put the beauty of God's glory on display as people drive by, uh, you know, and, and see our lives. We would desire for them to see, like, the Spirit at work in us, right? In us and through us and around us, we desire to live lives that are devoted faithfully to God and, and yielding a crop of of gospel fruit that's growing and flowing from the life that we live. We desire to live a living faith. Like, that's, that's what it means to be in Christ. And, and here's the thing, though. Maybe today, if you were to look inside or you were to see your own life for what it is, you, you might not look at your life and say, wow, I think, like, the spiritual fruit in my life probably doesn't look like Michael's pap's yard, you know? 
It might not look like that. Or maybe your neighbors would drive by your life and they might not see the beauty of, of the seeds sown and watered and harvested. Or, or maybe the church collectively, the church's collective image doesn't look like a, a string of, of uh, neighbors like my nan and pap had. Um, and maybe, maybe you hope to persevere, but your faith is weak. Today, he got, God uses Simon Peter in, in a letter that he wrote to the church a long, long time ago to stir us. And, and I think in these first 15 verses, this is what God would have us know today, that faithful fruitfulness endures by remembering what's true. Right? Faithful fruit, fruitfulness endures by by remembering what's true. And so we're in Second Peter, and I think as Scott said last week, we actually walked through First Peter like a long time ago, years ago. And so here we are looking at the sequel letter from Peter in this series, Everyday Hope. And so we're just going to dive in. Uh, hopefully you're there in your Bibles. I want to read just the first couple verses, and we'll talk for a few. Um, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, right out the gate. Those words... Words that we see all over the scriptures, all over the New Testament, servant and apostle. But that's what's kind of a big deal because what he's saying is, see, see, Peter, he lived life with Jesus, God himself incarnate. And he, he fished with him, right? Are, are there any better, better memories than, than just fishing with somebody, right? So he fished with Jesus and he, he sat around campfires with Jesus and he shared meals with Jesus and he lived in community with Jesus and he served uh, in the mission of the kingdom with Jesus, right? So, so Peter is an apostle commissioned by Jesus to, to, uh, to, to share in the local church the authority of God firsthand. He's an apostle, but he's also a servant, humble. And so what he's saying just in these first couple words is, was I, Peter, the lowest of the low, and yet as far as like earthly authority goes, the highest of the high commissioned by Jesus himself. It's like an uh, uh, authoritative humility that he's starting with. Peter's writing from, from prison, most people believe, in, in Rome, and, and it's around 67, 68 AD. The reason why we know that is because According to uh, largely validated church history after the scriptures, Peter died under the, the reign of Nero, who died in 68. And so Peter had to, had to write this before then, right? And so he's writing in 67, 68, and there are real life people, and this is real life history. He's writing to not one person or not one church, but, but the churches in Asia Minor. This is his last letter. Um, it's filled with courage and warmth. It's similar to Paul's last letter, which was Second Timothy, right? And so he's, he's like at the end of his life, and he knows that. And so, uh, so he says, as we read on, to those who have, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's saying, to those, to, to Christians, to those who, who stand on faith, right? Not their own faith. And to those who are in equal standing with me as an apostle, right? The, the Jew-Gentile deal, like, are you, uh, do you live according to the, to the uh, Mosaic law and, and the, the Old Testament covenant? 
Do you live according to that? Then you're a Jew, and if you don't, then you're a Gentile, and maybe you're a pagan, or you worship something else. But, but what he's saying is all of us, we come together as equals, not on the standing of anything that you do or anything that I've done, but what? Equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Out the gate, like he's telling us about Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Two verses in, he's pointing to Jesus three times already. Kind of a big deal, right? And so he's saying, grace and peace be multiplied to you. And, and he's not saying, uh, not that there is a well which dispenses a greater amount of grace than that which is ours in Christ Jesus. He's not saying that. He's saying, but, but that it would never stop growing and showing itself in our lives. And then he goes on, he says, in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, when you're reading this and it's Monday morning and you're open your Bible and like, you just, it's so easy to skim over these things. But these are really rich things that help us understand what's going on as he pins this letter. In particular, this idea of knowledge, this theme of knowledge is really, really important for Peter. And he, he uh, kind of envelopes the letter on the front end with knowledge and on the back end with knowledge. And he kind of smears it in the middle as well. So this is a, a big deal. Here's why. Uh, as R.C. Sproul says, the biggest heretical threat in the first 200 years of Christianity came from Gnosticism. Right? It starts with a G. Looks like good Gnosticism, all right? Um, and, and what that is, uh, gnosis means without knowledge. And so, like, we've seen this word, hip gnosis means whatever hip means, right? Uh, hypo, I think, means under, and so under the state of not having knowledge, right? Uh, without knowledge, R.C. Sproul goes on, he says, the Latin for this word is, like, by the way, ignoramus, all right? So there you have that. Um, lots of people in our current culture, like who are deconstructing their faith, they find themselves uh, in this category of thought where they might not be uh, against God and they might not be for him. Like they, uh, their kind of state would be like a spiritual shrug. What do you think of God? Meh, right? Uh, they're agnostic. They just don't no, they're not against, they're not for, and they're just trying to figure stuff out. The Gnostics in the first century, they argued that truth, and in particular ultimate truth, could not be learned rationally. Like it could, It's not something that you could ob obtain with your brain and with your five senses and when, with scientific investigation. So the truth of God could only be learned by mystical intuition. And so this would be like a a hyper-charismatic in our culture that, that puts uh, truth and reason and eyewitness account and testimony and all these things, historical validation, they just set all that aside and they, they claim in themselves some higher authority that's, that's only given to them a private, um, a, a private interpretation of, of what is true, right? And so that's what, that's what Peter's dealing with. Uh, Sproul says it, it's, it's a mixture of Greek philosophy Oriental dualism with like a splash of Christian doctrine. Like, okay. Like, and to some of you, that doesn't make any sense. And to some of you, like, I took that class in college, right? Um, 
So, so these people, these Gnostics, claimed a special kind of pipeline to revelation from God apart from his word through the prophets and his word through the foundation of the apostles. So that's kind of a big deal that Peter's writing to us. And, and it's not so different, like I said, not so different from today where, where really like nothing is real at all. And if you like consume uh, media or hear like your friends say stuff, then you like probably look at your neighbor and just think like, Literally, nothing is real, right? And, and that's okay, I find myself there. Like, nothing is real or, or everything matters or, or, or nothing matters at all, right? Uh, it doesn't really matter. And so perception uh, trumps truth. Um, my truth overtakes actual things that are true. And so you can see, like, that is kind of this, a similar world to which we live. So, so we put all of this together and, and we ask in such a place, how do I persevere in godliness? That's kind of the question. Like, how do I keep going with all that in me and, and around me and, and influencing us? How do we continue on? So I would say, again, faithful fruitfulness endures by remembering what's true. Um, and thankfully, he's going to tell us what that is. And so, kind of three chunks through these verses in the first 15 in Second Peter. The first thing, uh, so what is true? Remember that God's power overcomes. Uh, let's read verses 3 and 4 together. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. All kinds of stuff in there. But so that you, who have faith in Jesus and have, have known that to be true, so that we might become partakers of the divine, that we might put on and, and look like the divine nature that God has revealed to us for us, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, so how can I persevere? It's, it's through knowledge. Remember Behold what is true, that he has granted us the abundant life. That all things pertaining to life and godliness, that is the abundant life. And, and every tool necessary to live a fruitful life pleasing to him. That's, what our, that, that's what's already ours. So, so he has given us every good promise satisfied in Jesus. And it is in these promises that we find our power to overcome. So he says, remember the victory of Jesus who has overcome. O overcome what? Well, he says, the world and its corruption because of sinful desire within and without. How? How, how can we overcome that? He says, you, you've already escaped it. You've already escaped this world. So, so what then? Remember what you know. The knowledge of God's power already at work in you is what allows you to partake of his nature. See, Jesus, 
you may have heard this before. Jesus succeeds where we fail. And Jesus satisfies where sin fails. This is our life, and this is our hope, no matter what. It's, it's not looking forward to some greater reality. It's not, man, how do I overcome, and, and life is really hard, and, and I just find myself being drawn away, and, and all the voices out there. It's not looking forward to some greater hope. It's not looking forward to some new revelation of God. It's, it's looking back to a greater one than you believe in this moment. It's looking back to what has already been done. Remember that God's power overcomes. Maybe you've heard this word, right? This is a little uh, on the theological side, but I think that's okay, right? God's saving work is, is monergistic, right? Mono meaning one. The other part of the word, uh, I'm not sure what it means, but probably something to do with like energy, right? And so this is kind of like it's one-sided or it's one-way energy. God's saving work is one-way energy. He does the work. God does the work to save sinners. He seeks and he saves. In our contribution, you might say, well, then, then what part do we play? Well, we play a really important part. Our contribution is that we are lost. Our contribution is that we are in desperate need of rescue. Our contribution is that we sin and alienate our relationship. And when you find yourself at that place, then you are in a good place to receive the divine nature of God. We are sinners in need of rescue, and God is the one who, in his divine mercy, saves those whom he calls to himself according to his name and his purpose. If you, if, if you behold that truth, it does a couple things, right? It, it, first, it reminds us of who we once were. Like, so, so if I can't save myself, and, and I'm merely a recipient of God's abundant grace to me, well, what does that mean about me? Well, it means everything that the Bible says about you. Which is what? That, that you too once walked in darkness. And so when we find ourselves not, uh, again, if we, if we look back at the beginning, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. See, if you think that, that you are in the kingdom of God by your own good works, then, then you're not equal, you're better than, right? Or, or what we might call self-righteous. And we've probably lived that, and we've seen that. And what this does is it, it obliterates that, and it says, my goodness. This changes the way that we interact with the world around us. And what it makes me do, rather than just hate everyone that I see, and hate everyone that doesn't agree with me, and just want to blast them, whether it's like in anonymous social circles, or like through real-life interaction... It makes me sad, and it makes me hopeful that I, too, once walked in darkness, and God, being rich in mercy to me, God, might you be rich in mercy to my neighbor? Would you open their mind to let them know who they are apart from you and who you are? God, would you do that? And so that makes me hopeful. But it doesn't just change, uh, it, it doesn't just remind us of who we once were, but it reminds us of who we are now. 
which is the case that, that Peter will, will end up making in, in a few minutes. This changes the way that we interact with God, and it makes us thankful. And it makes us not living this life that's, that, that we just can't handle, that it's all of these things. How could I walk in these virtues that, that Peter's inviting us to walk into? It's just too much, right? And here's the thing. You don't have to walk in those virtues. But because our relationship with God has changed and because he has plucked us out, we get to walk in these virtues that put his glory on display for our good, for his glory. So despite the darkness, it is God's power that we obtain a faith of equal standing with ours. Not by mystical powers or by private revelation or by special unique spiritual enlightenment or by living according to my truth. None of those things, but by what? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord that the seed of faith is planted so that we might produce a faithful, in all seasons, fruitful, yield God's glory and His beauty on display through our lives. Faithful, fruitfulness endures by remembering what's True. We get to remember that God's power overcomes. And because it does, we get to do the second thing. We get to nourish our faith. Man, you may or may not be aware that, that Westside Little League is like, you know, they're like in the World Series. And they've overcome great odds and adversity and all kinds of stuff. And uh, it's super cool. I know many of you know many of those people, and, and our kids have been coached by them, and, and Ireland's got like three of those, like the pitcher and the catcher and the, and the third baseman are, are literally in her class, and there's just an empty seat there right now, right? And the teachers are upset, like these kids need to stop playing baseball and get back to school. It's so cool to watch, but, but one of the things recently, uh, they have like the coaches mic'd, and so whenever they come out to the plate uh, to like check on the pitcher or whatever, like you hear what they're saying, and I think that they know they're being mic'd. But, um, so, so he comes up and he says, man, we're facing a tough team. Like, gosh, this is a number one seed, but, but you know what, on our way to getting here, we've already beat two number one seeds, right? And, and I know that, that people said we couldn't do this, and the odds were literally against us. And yet here we are, facing a, a number one seed. We've already beat two. So, so do what we've done to get here. Be who you are and go do the thing, right? So, so you believe, look at who you are, do what you need to do for that belief to be fed and enriched and bolstered and, and nourished. That's what Peter tells us in, in look, Westside plays today at three. And if they win that, they are Little League World Series champs, Right? Now, are they going to do that? I have no idea, and it doesn't even matter. But, but what's more sure than whether or not Westside Little League wins a game today or any of the games in the last week is what Peter tells us true. And so we read on in, in, in verse 5 through 8. He says this, for, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, 
It's like uh, goodness, maybe. In, in virtue with knowledge, in knowledge with self-control, in self-control with steadfastness, like being able to see the course through. In steadfastness with, with godliness, in godliness with brotherly affection, the way that you love one another in brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, right, multiplying their fruitfulness, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think Peter thinks it's important that we know Jesus? That we have knowledge of him? That he's saying this is your anchor and your hope. It's the seed. It is literally everything. So, so when we read something like this in preacher language, you would say, oh, so, so what's the imperative? Right? And what that means is what is it calling us to do? It's calling us together this morning to make every effort to supplement your faith. Make every effort to supplement your faith. To this point in your life, would you have thought, hey, that's a really big deal? Right? Whether you have or not, today, can we at least put this like on the priority list to make every effort to supplement our faith? Faith comes from what? From hearing. And hearing through what? The word of Christ through knowledge of Christ's work from beginning to end. So you want to endure faithfully and you want to produce fruitfully? Know the power of God which is on display in Christ our Lord. Here's the thing. Our justification before God, what, what allows us to stand confidently, justly before him, to find ourselves acquitted Despite our sin and guilt, we are justified in a moment. That's monergistic, one way, God's work in us. But our sanctification, that is, that is uh, the process by which we, sh we begin to, to look like and be conformed to the image of Jesus, we have a part to play in that. We get to get involved in that. That's what we would call synergistic. Right? We, we, get to, we get to be involved. Because you're justified, be diligent in the work of being sanctified. Make every effort. My dog, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he says this. People are not saved by their efforts. But on the other hand, grace saves no one to make him like a log of wood. Or a block of stone. Grace makes people active. God has been diligently at work with us. Now we must diligently work together with him. Is it, not our, it is not our will that accomplishes our salvation. Yet it is not accomplished without our will. And what we see in this text. Uh, there's a process with some effort involved. Which begins with faith. Right? That's the foundation that it says, and it takes this stair step of virtues all the way up. It's, it's finally fulfilled by love, right? And it's these things, and steadfastness, and steadfastness to the next thing, to the next thing, finally brotherly, uh, uh, brotherly affection, finally love. Begins with faith, and it's fulfilled by love. And, and each one of these things build to the next in some crazy way. We see that love is the capstone, 
and we know this, we've talked about this in the last month together, that our life should put love on display, the love that is uh, found in God alone. But what we see is, is it's not just the capstone, it's also the cornerstone of our faith. If faith is the beginning, what is faith in response to? The love of God to us. And how do we see the love of God to us? Jesus on a cross, taking on our sin, not his own, laying down his life, taking the, uh, the wrath of God for your sin, having none in himself, dying the death that we should have died, coming back to life three days later, overcoming death, calling us innocent despite the guilt on our hands, inviting us into a resurrected life, a new life in him which overcomes this world. He ascends to the right hand of God, ruling and reigning that we might be his now and forever. That's what we respond to on the foundation of faith and so all of this, what he's saying is this stair steps of, of good stuff that culminates with love. That's really where we begin. Spurgeon goes on. He says, supplement your faith with goodness and knowledge and self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, love. As we've seen a mason take up first one stone and then another and then gradually build a house. So, we, so are we Christians to take first one virtue and then another and then another, piling up these stones of grace upon one another until we have built a palace for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. See, see Pap's yard didn't just show up looking beautiful and Seeds were sown and watered and, and positioned according to, to sunlight patterns in season and out and all of those things. So when the seed of, of the garden of God's work is, is unmerited grace, the work doesn't seem so overwhelming to live a life established in His faithfulness to produce the fruit of His grace in His glory through His people. So what we get to do, our contribution, it doesn't lessen or it doesn't cheapen the garden of grace in bloom in our lives, but it gives us personal investment to join the work of God, to continue the good work He has began in us. And, and what one has said, we are saved by grace alone, but saving grace never walks alone. So, so nourish your faith. Give it what it needs to grow and, and the disciplines of God and the delights of God. The, the gardener, he isn't hurried. He isn't frustrated. He doesn't expect flowers and vegetables on day one. He knows what needs done and he puts his hand to the plow. And what Peter says is if these qualities are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective they keep you from being unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The warning in this is that you know Jesus. You have the foundation of faith, and it just, it just sits there growing moldy in the back of your refrigerator. 
what Peter's saying, don't let that happen. Cultivate. Do the work to nourish and supplement the foundation of faith that it might grow faithful and fruitful. And the last thing is this. A nourished faith will not forget. Start reading in verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities, so he's contrasting, right, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Man, our kids are 13 months apart, and when Titus was, hey Ty, I'm going to talk about you, that's okay. Titus was uh, like a year and a half, 18 months, like his eyes were doing some stuff. Um, and so, uh, well, here's the thing. So we didn't know that Titus couldn't see, right? Um, and, and we joke around now, and, and his cousins joke around, like we used to play hide and seek, and like little year and a half, you know, Titus were around like picking up blankets, and they were like blatantly right there, and they were just like, where are they? Like, I remember throwing footballs, like get the football, and he's like, I, uh, we're like, gosh, like just get the thing, you know? We used to play like Where's Waldo, we'd open the big book, and there's like all these uh, this this uh, seas of Waldos, but there's only one like legitimate Waldo, right? And all this stuff in very like granular print, and and we would be like, "Where is he at? He looks like this. Let's find him." And like Titus, he's not finding him, and he's like a year and a half or whatever, and so that's fine. Um, over time, we'd be like, "Oh, here he is. Oh, there he is," and he's like pretty sharp. And so over time, turn the page, there he is. Turn the page, there he is. Like, gosh, this kid is really good at this. But, right, he couldn't see him. He never saw him. He was only doing what we told him. What? There he is. He knows he's there on the green page. He's in the upper left. A few months later, he got glasses. We figured out that he literally could virtually not see really anything at all. And we were really sad. Sorry, bro. Um, play Where's Waldo, and it was a little different because then he could, could actually see him and find him. What Peter's saying, he says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. So what that would be like, would be like 13-year-old Titus taking out his contacts, opening the book and saying like, okay, where's Waldo? would never be able to find them. And Peter's saying, that's what you do. That's what you're doing. You have forgotten how to even use your eyes for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Bro, you can see. Use, use your eyes to observe and remember what's happened. And he's saying, us who forget we continue as if, that, as if we were never cleansed from our sins. And, and what happens when we, for, we, when we forget that we were cleansed from our sins? We continue to walk in them. Forget virtue. We continue to walk in the darkness in the world around us. Peter's saying, let that not be so. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you, were, you will never fall. For in this way, 
there will be richly provided for you and an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter is, is saying, let the observable fruit of your life corroborate your trust in Jesus. Right? I used to look at this text, right, and I used to think that, that it, it taught a salvation by works. But here's the thing. If, if our salvation hinges upon our ability to be faithful or fruitful, we're sunk. We are, we are Jack hanging on to Rose, right? At the end of Titanic, it's over. There's just not room for you there. And yet we continue to fall into ruts and patterns to think that, that God loves me because of my performance before him. And Peter's saying, if that's your hope, look, you... One, you've forgotten what's true, and you have zero hope. He's saying, let the observable fruit of your life corroborate your trust in Jesus. What does that mean? Well, when a detective finds a piece of evidence or an eyewitness, you know what they have to do? They have to corroborate that. What that means is that thing doesn't stand by itself but there has to be something, some video surveillance or some, some DNA evidence or something around that to validate that. Peter's saying the same thing. Let the life that you live, the visible fruit in your life, corroborate your trust in Jesus. This is a warning and an encouragement at the same time. So if you find yourself, and, and your question today is, is how can I know that I'm his? And, and what you're struggling with is, is assurance. Look at this text. And it paints out what we get to do to validate our assurance. Look no further than your belief in Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I would only give one caveat. And that's that, that the demons believe and they tremble. So, so you have to have knowledge of Jesus that leads to a, a trust. And I, and I think the fruit of, of our life in him is that trust begins to give way to treasure above all. That not only do we trust him as our only hope in, 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 in life, in this life and forever, but we treasure him above all. And, and if your question is, how can I grow? How can I persevere in faithful fruit, fruitfulness? Then the answer is this. It's to remember the foundation of your faith. Nourish that faith with the virtues that, that cultivate and spur you on to godliness. Man, I, I heard in a podcast this week, that was the X29 podcast, and it kind of spotlights church planters and different stuff, and there's this guy named Jim Essian, I think, and... And he told this story, and he was talking about his, his like, kind of faith journey or whatever. And he said he was a teenager, and he was, like, struggling with doubt. And he went to his pastor, and he said, man, I, I'm struggling with doubt. Like, I'm just not really sure, like, if I'm, like, he didn't have assurance that God was for him. And he said, uh, he said in wisdom, this pastor said to me, hey, like, how often do you look at your birth certificate to validate um, that you're alive. Right? No one does that. 
I think in a similar way, we don't look back and, and say, well, yeah, I know. When I was nine years old at that VBS, I did say those 17 words after that teacher, I must be a Christian. What Peter's saying is, look at your life. Is it being conformed to the image of God or not? And if it's not, then you better be mindful of what it is that your faith is in to begin with. So, so Peter says, be all the more diligent to make every effort to conform your, uh, confirm your calling and election to make it sure. Look at your life. Make sure you're alive and live. That's what he says, right? And I, and I can't shut this down without reading this passage um, in John 15. This kind of puts it full circle, right? To make sure we're being nourished by the true vine. In John 15, 1, I am the true vine, right? I, I'll say this. Sometimes God is the, the farmer and sometimes it's us. And I've been playing that. And I don't know which one is which, right? Both analogies break down at some point. But this is what Jesus tells us in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Do you think that God cares how the garden of your lives look? you better believe he does. Because it's his name that you're carrying around town. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Here's the call. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he goes on and he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. The band's coming up. I'm going to read this last chunk. Verses 12 through 15. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Like, don't miss this. This is Peter writing at the end of his life to the church that he loves dearly. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right. As long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Kids get frustrated when their parents remind them of things. Parents get frustrated when they have to remind their kids of things. This guy, end of his life, what's most important? Let me tell you what's most important. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my, de my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What he's saying, this is like dorm room conversation. Dad's not going to be around every day. Or, or even worse than that, it's, it's terminal diagnosis conversation. 
in just a few days, weeks, months, dad's not going to be around. Listen to my words. That's what Peter's saying. Listen to what I'm telling you. I won't always be with you. As long as I'm here, I will remind you. But if you do these things, you will remember. And so long as you remember, you'll see. And so long as you see, you'll grow. And that growth will be the glory of God. See, he has a spiritual vision for the church to bear fruit, to be fruitful and faithful. Man, what's yours for you? End of your life, what do you, what do you want your life to look like? What do you want people to say about you? Don't wait till the end of your life to start implementing that faith. Let it change you now and forever. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your gift. Would you let us do the work? What is it to be faithful and fruitful? Would you let us remember God's work and your power to overcome sin in this world? Would you let us be diligent to find your life as our life? Would you let that assurance of you and your work produce in us fruitful endurance? Faithful fruitfulness endures by remembering what's true. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.